Good evening, everyone. We're reading the book of Colossians, chapter 1, from verse 15 to 23. And you can find it in the the church Bible, 1183. 1183. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once we have alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you had and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. God our Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage before us uh, from your word. And uh, we thank you for it. We know it's good for us. And we pray now that your word would do its work through your power, we pray. Um, that it would affect our lives and our hearts and change us and make us more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I want us to begin uh, really continuing that theme that, that Andrew has already alluded to, which is really that the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And the word creation appears in this section quite a few times. You can see it there in, in different forms. Um, but what does it mean for Jesus to be the firstborn over all creation? It sounds like a slightly strange term. And we might initially hear that and think, does that mean that um, Jesus uh, was the first created? Actually, it doesn't mean that at all. But what does it mean? Well, it means really, if you put the emphasis on the over, 
firstborn over all creation. Um, so this is really, really important. Really important. Um, in other words, everything that was created, Jesus is over it. Yeah? Jesus is over it. It's that big. In fact, everything that was created was created by him. Uh, meaning he himself was not created. We sing it every Christmas, begotten, not created. O come, O ye faithful. I think it's O come, O ye faithful. Uh, that, that, that great carol that we sing. Begotten, not created. He's, he's uncreated. He's not created. Um, Jesus was with God and is God in the beginning. John 1. That very famous introduction. What does it mean then for Jesus to be called the firstborn? Well, of course, you're all familiar with the law of primogenitor, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. What does that mean? I just, I just throw that out. I'm showing off, aren't I? That's a terrible thing to do. Um, who, who's a firstborn here? That's, that's quite a lot. Who isn't a firstborn? Yeah, so you see, that's, there's quite a lot of us that aren't a firstborn. Because if you were a firstborn in the first century, you would know what this was all about and what that meant for you. It meant, if you were the firstborn, you got all the wealth. Isn't that good if you're firstborn? All your firstborn should be cheering away. It meant you got all the wealth of the father. You got all the status. You got all the, the kind of standing and power and, and, uh, that a firstborn would have. That's what it meant in that context. That's how to understand it. Jesus was equal with the father. That's what it meant to be the firstborn. And Colossians is saying Jesus is, is uncreated, he's beginningless, he is creator, and he's equal with God. Um, if you look at verse 19, you, you get a bit more of it. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. It's not just that Jesus is fully God, but God is fully Jesus. It's both ways round, you can think about it like that. Now, this is massive, as as Andrew was just alluding to. This is really big for us, really important, because it means that Jesus is supreme. He's better. We were singing about it. He's better than anything because he's supreme. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. God, Jesus, God, real God, became real flesh in Jesus the Son. It's not a ghost. It's not a hologram. It's not some sort of, um, you know, ordinary person. Yes, he died. He cried. He bled. He dead. He rose again. And this is massive that we get that Jesus is the God man. Really important for us. Um, because sometimes we can forget it or we kind of, yeah, kind of nod. We, oh, I kind of know that. But we, we don't see the implications of it and just how amazing it is. We don't sense it because we become dull to it. I had it, I remember when I was, had an experience of that kind of, um, sense when I was a summer student and, um, at university in the summer, I, um, worked on a pig farm, uh, for eight weeks. It was truly awful, uh, but I made it through 
But I remember the thing about the pig farm was that when I first went there, all I could smell was pigs. It really stank, and it, cl- it clinged to your clothes, it clinged to your hair and your skin. It got everywhere, and you, you took it home with you. But after about a week, guess what? Totally forgot about it. Didn't notice it. Didn't sort of go on about it. And then, of course, when I went home, um, my, my um, family said, Oh, you stink. <laughs> and you smell of pigs. Um, and so the point is, isn't it, it's, it's in our human nature to easily forget uh, and in the same way filter out the impact of this passage on us. That's what can happen because it's so important. We go, oh, yes, Jesus is the God-man and we all sort of nod, and, but we really need to see the impact of this and what it really means for us. Jesus is God. It, um, the supreme being before all things. Verse 16, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We have been created by him, but also for him. It's really very important. Now let's just think for a moment and let this sink in. What does this mean for us? What does it mean for your life? What does it mean for my life and how we live? How, well, first thing, three things. And, and, of course, I'm a preacher. They all begin with R. So you can jot that down. <laughs> they all begin with R. And you're all thinking, well, the R's, I bet I can work them out. That's what I do when I'm sitting listening. <laughs> the first one is this, reordered. Your life and my life needs to be reordered by Jesus needs to be reordered by Jesus. Look at verse 17. He, Jesus, talking about Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Jesus, everything holds together, okay? Um, And without Jesus, what happens? Things fall apart. Things get messy. Things go awry. The world, you and me, without Jesus move towards disorder. That's what happens without Jesus. And, and the world, that's what happens without Jesus. Because in Jesus, everything holds together. If you think about it, Genesis 1, when you get creation, God created, and what did he create? He created order out of disorder, didn't he? He created uh, Calm out of chaos. And because of our, our sin and our rebellion, everything has a tendency towards, to move back towards disorder, to unravel, and to become messy. Um, whenever Jesus Christ, who is, where, who is our creator, comes down into a person's life and has received, person, received Jesus as their saviour, into a person's life, our life is going to be reordered. Yeah, this is really, that's what's happening when we believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, We become reordered. Everything can change. Um, If Jesus was a man, uh, and just a kind of good teacher, somebody who was just a kind of a guru who who said some nice things, um, his impact on your life would have certain impact, wouldn't it? Because he was, he was a teacher. 
Um, but if he's the creator before all things, you and I cannot have areas of our life that are, in a sense, off limits to him. Because you can't have areas in your life that are off limits to, to God who is creator and supreme. And, and in Jesus, there are no limits that he, in your life, where he has access to and wants to reorder and speak into. And it could be a view, any view, any, any convictions that you hold, any habits or behaviors, any relationships would become and need to be open to being reordered by Jesus. Because he's the one who's in the business of reordering. Um, because in him all things hold together, as we see in the text. Uh, and without him, without Jesus, we are going to fall apart. You might not feel like you're falling apart, but without Jesus, it, will, it is happening and it will happen. We are all falling apart. Um, he must have supremacy. Imagine you have, um, for a moment, a close friend. I'm sure you have close friends. And um, they were dying. And you bring this friend um, to the doctor, and the doctor says to you, you're going to die, but I have, I have a cure for you. If I have a cure for you. But there's one thing you need to keep we one thing you need to do to keep yourself alive uh, for the rest of your life. Um, you can never eat chocolate again. I know, ter- I know this is a terrible example for you, Beverly, because Beverly absolutely loves her chocolate. <laughs> and I'm sure many of you love your chocolate too. You can never eat chocolate again, but if you don't eat chocolate again, you're going to survive. And you, as you're excited by this news because you think... And this is wonderful news for your friend. And your friend says, what? No chocolate? No way. I could never do that. You're mad. That's what you would say, isn't it, Beverly? (laughs) (laughs) Now think about this in the context of Jesus, okay? People often come to Jesus, sense something about their need for him, something for need of purpose, for meaning, for relationship, But they say something like, I have this rumor, I've heard that if you become a Christian, you can't do X, Y, and Z. Uh, And you can't do this, and you can't do that. I've heard that if I become a Christian. Um, And and if that's um, true, um, then there's there's no way I can do that sort of thing. Well, what does the supremacy of Jesus say to that? If you think about it, if, if, if Jesus is God of perfect freedom, full of abundant love, the source of all truth and all beauty and, and majesty and wonder, who has all wisdom and understanding and knowledge and goodness and power, that, he, that if you believe in him, he can pass into your life um, so that you can run and not grow weary um, that you can uh, love with an ever-enduring um, love. If this Jesus is the creator and sustainer of life, who can reorder your life, uh, how can anything be off-limits? How can anything in your area be off-limits to him? 
I don't know what, what you might consider to be off limits to, to Jesus. But there really can't be any area that would be off limit. You can, can't really turn around to the supreme set being and say, no way, um, forget it, I'm out of here. Even the chocolate. <laughs> Whether it's sex, relationships, money, chocolate, I don't know what it might be, anything, anyone... You cannot, in a sense, you cannot know the absolute if you absolutize everything else and say areas, these are the areas, there's no way. These these are my absolutes. You can't know the supreme one because he has to be absolute in our lives. He has to be absolute in my life. Uh, You see, there are areas in our lives, aren't there? In all of our lives. I'm sure there are in your life. I know there are in mine. Um, That it's hard to let Jesus be the supreme being in your life. There are areas that it's hard. Where we turn things into ultimate areas. The things that I must have or the things I cannot let go of. That kind of language but if Jesus comes into your life, if, he, if you accept him as Lord and Savior, he can change your life. He can reorder it. He can't just be a supplement. Jesus cannot be just an addition to your life. He has to be absolutely center because he's supreme. This is so important for every area of our lives. The ultimate one. Everything else even important things and things that are really good and valuable, they have to come second. I wonder what they are for you. Only you can answer that question, really. I can't answer it for you. I know in my own life there are things. Jesus isn't like a kind of vitamin pill that you take as a supplement, is it, to sort of try and make yourself a bit healthier. And, and Jesus can't really just be that close buddy who cheers you on your way kind of thing, to sort of, you can keep going. And of course, it doesn't mean Jesus doesn't cheer us along our way in many ways, but he has to be the supreme being, which means he, he does get to call the shots and he does get to tell us hard things and areas of our lives that need to be changed and need to be reordered and recentered around him. But Jesus won't force his way in you know, he, he, he won't just push himself at you. He's God of love. He waits to be invited. He wants to invite, he wants you to invite him into your life to do that kind of work in your life. I wonder what is in your life that is hindering that kind of, hello, supreme being coming into your life. So that's the first thing. That's the longest thing. Don't worry. The second two R's are shorter. So our life needs to be reordered by Jesus. And the second thing is our our life needs to be reconciled by Jesus. Um, You see this in the verses that, that follow in verse 19, that it's through him, if you look at it with me, through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, without Jesus, we are disordered, but we're also at war. 
We're at war. Who are we at war with? God. Without Jesus, we're at war with God. Um, It's there in verse 21. But sometimes, again, we miss it because we've read it so many times. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You see, without Jesus, we are by nature his enemies. That's the natural state. Sometimes hard to take that in, isn't it? By nature. He's the one who's made us and sustains us, but we've rebelled against him. We've turned away from him. We so often don't want to have anything to do with him. And so we need to be reconciled. We all want to sing like that Louis Armstrong song, What a Wonderful World. I won't start singing to you, but I love that song. But it does make it sound like everything is hunky-dory. But it's not, isn't it? If we're honest, we know that all is not well. We know the disorder and the mess that we see. We only have to look at our papers and our news and our our, um, social media. And that problem is inside all of us. Uh, We're all rebels, whether we realize it or not. We're rebels against God. Uh, We all want to be in charge. Actually, ultimately, we all want to be supreme in number one in our own lives. Uh, We talk about all these other things that we talk about absolutes, but the the only real absolute is that we want to be rulers of our own lives and not Jesus. Um, What is it that Boris Johnson told people as he was growing up? He wanted to be world king, wasn't it? I think I want to be the world king. Now we laugh and say, oh, that's Boris Johnson, but at least he was being honest about it. (laughs) Because the reality is that That's the same for us, isn't it? In our own little way, we want to be world king, want to be in charge. But guess what? The position is already taken. It's taken by Jesus Christ. And so we live in this state of being separated from God without peace, cut off from God, and therefore cut off from relationship with God. And it's this separation... um, that accounts for that kind of sense of restlessness, that sense of unease, that sense of a lack of peace in our lives, that sense of longing and and desire for something bigger, for identity, that's often something, a longing to know who I am. You're only going to get to know who you are if you look to Jesus. All that kind of sense of restlessness, um, which is common throughout generations. You see it comes up in different ways through philosophy and through art and through all sorts of different literature. For being God's enemies, we have this restlessness. But we're also, because of that restlessness, under God's judgment, because we are enemies with God, without Jesus. And ultimately, one day, that will become permanent, unless... Unless the good news, the gospel that it talks about here, of Jesus reconciling us to himself. Jesus, the supreme one, comes to us and reconciles us, and that's what he has done for us. Look at verse 22. It's there. But But now, that's always a good thing, but now. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death 
to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Really is a wonderful um, verse that. It's on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was treated as if he were us so that we could be treated as if we were him. Um, It's an old illustration um, to help you, if any of you have ever done Alpha or something like that, to just to kind of illustrate this, to help you understand the reconciling work of Jesus. If you imagine um, this hand is, is Jesus, okay, and, it's, and he's perfect, and he's free from sin and death, and if you imagine this other hand is us, it's you and me, it's our, and this book represents our sin and our rebellion against God. It, it's, it's on us. And if you imagine there's a kind of triangle and, and God the Father is there, that's how God sees us with all our sin and mess and disorder on us. Jesus is free of that. He's perfect, only person who's ever lived a perfect life. And on the cross, when Jesus died, what happens is that he, Jesus, on the cross, takes all that sin upon himself and dies in our place so that we could be free from that accusation, free from death, free from judgment, and that we can know the Father and we can have that relationship with him. And of course, he defeats sin and death by rising again to new life. That is the story of the gospel. It's good news. It's wonderful news. The best news. What the supreme being has done for us. Jesus Christ, who should leave the splendor of heaven for you and for me. He does that. And why does he do that? Because he loves us. He doesn't want to see us die and and perish because of our sin. He wants to come for us. And that's what he did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. So they wouldn't perish, wouldn't die, but have eternal life. God has an amazing love, has a supreme love, like no other love. We often think of love, don't we, um, uh, as aroused by some kind of object. Our, our love is, is kind of based on some other object, uh, usually the qualities that that other object has. It might be their personalities, it might be their looks, it might be how clever they are, their sense of humour, all that kind of stuff. That's how we tend to love something, isn't it? But God's love is extraordinary in that it has been given to people like you and like me who have nothing to deserve it. Nothing to deserve it. In fact, his love, in fact, we deserve the opposite. But it's a love poured out on those who are by nature enemies, by nature at war. And that is his reconciling love for you and for me. Isn't it brilliant? I think it's brilliant. I really ought to ask for an amen, but I'm, I'm not, just not that kind of... Uh, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> so that's the reconciled by Jesus. That's a life transformed um, by the reconciling uh, uh, love of Jesus. And then finally... Life needs to remain in Jesus. When you've given your life to Jesus, 
He's reconciled you and he's reordered you. You need to remain in him. You don't just sort of go, oh, thanks very much, got that in the pocket, and I'll just go on my own way. You need to remain in him. Look with me at verse 23. If you, he's writing to these Colossians and therefore writing to us, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, gospel just means good news, This is the good news that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. So there, firstly, Paul is telling the Colossian Christians to remain in Jesus. Do not move from this. Do not move from this reconciling love. Do not move from this reordering of of your life through Jesus. Even if at times it feels hard and it feels strained, it feels complicated and you don't know what's going on and what he's doing, he is changing you and reordering you, continuing it. Don't waver. Um, Perhaps you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as the supreme one in in your life, the one to reorder you and to reconcile you, and encourage you to, to accept him, to accept Jesus now, as he's the one who can save us, can reconcile you to God. Um, and he does need to be accepted personally. It is about you doing business with God and saying, I want you to come into my life. Please rescue, please, please reorder me, please reconcile me. And so um, that's really where I want to end. Um, we continue to remain in Jesus, continue to walk with him and know the implications of the supremacy of Christ. Those, those are the implications we see here, the implications that he reorders our life, he reconciles us, and we need to remain in him, continue in him. Okay? Let's pray, shall we? Father God, thank you so much for this wonderful um, word. And we pray, Father, that you will do that work of reordering in us wherever we need to be reordered. There wouldn't be any area in our life that doesn't come under your supreme authority. We know that's quite tough because we know, Father, there are areas in our lives that we don't want you to see or know about. But we pray, Father, that you will so work in us that there wouldn't be any area that isn't open to you open to your loving change. And we pray, Father, we'll know more of that reconciling love. And, Father, we pray that we will remain in Jesus now and always. Amen.